I know many of you right now, how many people have heard of conspiracy theories? You're not, li- yeah, you're not living in this culture if you haven't heard of uh, conspiracy theories. I'm, I'm sure uh, some of you know some of the ones that are out right now, especially in our world of pandemic and vaccines and wars and stuff like that. Some have actually caught my attention, interested in some, um, and there's been, been many, many, many throughout history. As a matter of fact, I picked out three. So I'm going to give you a conspiracy theory. Uh, you're going to let me know uh, whether or not this is true, okay? So here's first one. There's a secret society that rules the world. It's called the Illuminati, and the Illuminati and the U.S. National Security Agency are in cahoots together. There's a link between the two, true or false? No, it's true. A lot of people saying true, okay. Actually, there is some truth to that. There's a link. Uh, it's a hyperlink. It's an internet link, an electronic link between two internet sites. This is going to get people going. If you type in Illuminati backward, it spells Itananumaluli, or whatever that says, into a web browser, and you type that in, itanamuli.com, you land in the NSA website. So go ahead and try that. Rumor has it that this elite society includes tons of famous personalities, actors, actresses, and performers. Here's the second one, true or false, the Dalai Lama is a CIA agent. Okay, laugh. This one is actually true. Now, granted, these all have to be vetted. I, I read these in a news article. But he's, they say perhaps the reason the Dalai Lama is smiling in all those photos has to do with the six-figure salary that he pulled down from the U.S. government during the 1960s. According to declassified intelligence documents, he earned $180,000 in connection with CIA's funding of the Tibetan resistance to the tune of $1.7 million per year. So much for a vow of poverty. So this was to disrupt and hamper the China's infrastructure. That actually sounds really believable to me. Um, So that's why he is smiling in all those pictures. All right, third one. Uh, E.T., there's an extraterrestrial that is buried in the desert in New Mexico. True or false? Anyone? True, true, false. Okay, someone says it's true. This one is kind of true. There was an Atari game that was released. People may remember E.T., the Atari game, and it did so poorly that they dug a hole, a landfill, and they buried all those games in the desert in New Mexico uh, to just forget about them. But it's funny. So, lots of conspiracy theories. Why, why, do we, why do we gravitate towards those things? I think for two reasons. You and I want to know what is happening. We want to know the reality behind what we see, don't we? And, and those theories kind of spark our interest. And we're like, is that really what's going on there? Uh, also, I think we just have a severe distrust of human beings in general. And we know that behind the human heart, there's a lot of machinations and, and operations and people trying to actually rule the world. Well, we're going to be looking at actually the greatest conspiracy of all time. It is the conspiracy, it is the plot to kill Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we're not going to look at a theory. We're actually going to look at 
a theology behind this conspiracy. I'm going to pull back the curtain. And we're going to see who is really behind what is happening in our passage today. And the truth of what you and I see shouldn't scare us. It's actually going to hopefully encourage us and comfort us as we go through this world facing similar situations. So I've broken this passage up uh, into three insights. And just to give you a heads up, the main idea is actually going to fall after insight number two. So in your, uh, on your bulletins, you can kind of just make a mental note of that. Uh, kind of three Three ideas, three, broken this conspiracy up into three areas. The first one is the motivation, verses 47 through 48 in John chapter 11. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What on earth are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Uh, So whenever you come to a therefore in Scripture, you should ask, what is the therefore? Therefore. So therefore looks back uh, to what we just said. So we have to realize that it is the miracle, it is the resurrection of Lazarus that sets all of this in motion. And I think that's really, really fitting. It is the resurrection of raising Lazarus for, or raising Lazarus from the dead that is actually going to lead to Jesus' death and his ultimate victory over it. So therefore, many believed, but some people actually saw what Jesus was doing and they're like, we got to go tell some people. So they run and they actually snitch on Jesus Christ. They go to the Pharisees and they let them know that Jesus is having many, many people follow after him. And what we begin to see here, what we see, uh, what the Pharisees say is the motivation behind the plot to kill Jesus Christ. Uh, see, three kind of areas here uh, that we see in this motivation. The first one is that many people are following after Jesus, so they're kind of losing their power over these people. And there's a fear with that. And they're saying, we can't allow him to continue. If we allow him to continue, everyone's going to go after him. Not only that, he sa- they say that he'll come, the Romans will come, and if he continues in this way, he'll take away our place. And I think that meaning for place is their religion or their temple. Uh, the kind of way of life, their religious way of life that they are used to, and then finally and ultimately their nation. What do we see in this? We see that they are worried about self-preservation, that Jesus is not the Messiah that they are looking for. As a matter of fact, he's actually going to be the opposite. Jesus is a threat to their way of life. He's a threat to their little kingdom. And even though they're under Roman rule, they still have this little happy place that they're okay with. And because Jesus isn't going to come and he's not fulfilling the idea of the Messiah, the political Messiah that's going to overthrow 
the Roman rule and set up their kingdom because he's not meeting their agenda. They don't want anything to do with him. They are worried about this and they devise a plot. And, and what we see here is, is not something that we don't see throughout history, not something that we don't see in human hearts as well. It's all about kingdom. We see the clash of two kingdoms. That's what's going on here. It's the clash of God's kingdom and it is the clash of man's kingdom. Man has this earthly kingdom. God is setting up a heavenly kingdom. If God invades man's earthly kingdom, man is going to do something about it. And that's exactly what happens here. And it happens in the hearts and the minds of, of people throughout history as well. There's a guy, his name is Kevin Bow. I don't know, I might have mentioned this before or alluded to it in another sermon. Uh, he, he owns his own country. It's called the Republic of Malaysia. If you don't mind, he would prefer that you call him His Excellency Kevin Bow. You could bow down to Kevin Bow. He has a, an impressive khaki uniform, six gold medals, a gold, uh, gold braid, some epaulets and shoulder pads, blue and white and green sash, and a general's cap with a gold starburst over it. So, have you ever heard of the Republic of Malaysia? Never heard of the Republic? Well, that's because it exists at Kevin's house. In his 1.3-acre yard outside of Dayton, Nevada, his three-bedroom house. According to the article in Chicago Tribune, he has a space program. It's a model rocket. He has the currency that is pegged to the value of chocolate chip cookie dough. Go figure. He has a national sport. It's called broom ball. And he also has a navy. It's an inflatable raft. He's the father of two, 45 years old, and he's a micro-nationalist. Uh, he basically has a kingdom of me. Kingdom of me. These guys have a kingdom, don't they? They have a kingdom. They have a way of life. No matter how small it is, people are going to defend their kingdoms. This is why people do not want Jesus to invade their lives, because they have to give up their rule. We see it here in this little way, and we see it throughout history. Our place, our nation, we need to preserve our way of life. God's kingdom, man's kingdom, Jesus is a threat to man's kingdom, hands down. He's a threat to the Pharisees. He's a threat to their way of life. He's a threat to their power. He's a threat to their control. He's a threat to their little nation. And that's how they're thinking. And they can't have that. We cannot allow him to continue in this way. If we do, then our little empire will come to an end. And they're probably thinking of when uh, the individuals wanted to make him king, and then when Jesus kind of answers their question about the Messiah, and he's not the Messiah that they are looking for, then they're, they're done with this. Their motivation to kill him is self-preservation. This has been from the fall. From the fall... Man wants to rule. Eve wanted to be like God. So when God comes in 
and is going to take that rule away, man says, uh-uh, no way, we're not going to have anything with it. I don't want to follow Jesus. If I follow Jesus, I'm going to lose what I have. He's going to take away my place. He's going to take away my comfort. He's going to take away my rule. Therefore, I need to deal with that threat. I like my empire, and I'm going to fight your intrusion upon it. Man's kingdom is an earthly kingdom. There is a political or human salvation element to it, and it, man rules it. God's kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. There is a spiritual salvation followed by physical salvation, and God rules over it. Two kingdoms. This is the battle. R.C. Sproul, I want to kind of hit on this for a section, sec, 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 uh, second here. He, he recalls a time that he was asked to write an essay about a question. Why do we not see the same level of persecution here in the United States as in other parts of the world? Now, doesn't mean we go out and look for persecution, but he was asked, why is it that in other parts of the world, there's severe persecution, and in the U.S., there's none of it. Not like we see in other parts of the world. He, he answers that, and he says, one of the reasons is that Christians have become very, very artful and creative in avoiding conflict. We don't want to enter into conflict with our society. We don't want to enter into conflict with others that don't believe in Jesus Christ. So therefore, we kind of, we know how to bob and weave, kind of get around things. He also says this. He says that you and, you and I as Christians, the, the Christians in, in America, the churches in America, have been placed on a reservation. We're allowed to exist on that reservation. We're allowed to pray, right? We're allowed to gather like this. I'm allowed to speak here, right here. I'm allowed to worship, allowed to fellowship, but don't come off that reservation. Don't come off that reservation because if you come off that reservation, you're going to pay the price. And I think, I think what is happening, we, we're not, we might not be too far from these guys. We might want to preserve our little happy place right here. And we want to domesticate and put Jesus in a corner. Jesus, don't, don't come outside these doors. Wait a second, because it's not practical. It's not pragmatic. We don't want to mess up our little home here because the Romans might come and they might take it away from us. And we, we're happy right now. This is a way of life that we have. Folks, have we been conditioned has our faith been quarantined? Because we might be afraid of the same thing. Jesus, whoa, whoa, settle down. We don't want to ruffle the feathers. Why? Why isn't Jesus a threat in America? All of this 
needs to be looked at from what we're learning in this passage today. Folks, whose kingdom is being established through this plot? Is it man's? It's not, is it? Behind this selfish, selfish motivation of self-preservation to maintain and keep an earthly temporal kingdom, someone is working behind the scenes to establish an eternal heavenly one. And these guys are falling right along that plan. Which brings us to the next insight, the solution. Verses 49 through 53. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you guys know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people, that the whole nation not perish. Now, he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Any of you probably heard of Bill Maher, comedian, has a movie out or a documentary called Religulous. This is an excerpt from that movie. The irony of religion is that because of its power to divert man to destructive courses, that the world could actually come to an end because of it. The plain fact is, religion must die for mankind to live. The hour is getting very late to be able to indulge in having key decisions made by religious fanatics, by irrationalists, by those who would steer the ship of state, not by compass, but by the equivalent of reading the entrails of a chicken. Faith means making virtue out of not thinking. It's nothing to brag about. Those who preach faith and enable and elevate it are intellectual slaveholders, keeping mankind in bondage to a fantasy, to nonsense that has spawned and justified so much lunacy and destruction. Religion is dangerous because it allows human beings who don't have all the answers to think that they do. Anyone who tells you that they know what is going to happen when you die, I promise they do not. Many, most people would say it's wonderful when someone says, I'm willing, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do, except since there are no gods actually talking to us, that void is filled in by people with their own corruptions, limitations, and agendas. And those of you, he says, the, the rational people, the people he's talking to, the anti-religionists, must end their timidity, timidity and come out of the closet and assert themselves. Religion must die in order for mankind to live. Sounds like a similar solution, doesn't it? 
And Bill Maher is particular against uh, fighting against Christianity as well. Same solution years ago. What happens? God invades man's kingdom. Man says, hey, guess what? We can't have this. We can't have this. We need to take him out. That's their solution. And it's a solution that is being carried out across this globe right now. These Christians, they're, they're preaching things that, that don't jive well with our way of life, that go against our own ideology, that go against our government, that go against our way of thinking. What are we going to do? You guys are silly. I got a great idea. Let's just kill some of them so that the whole nation doesn't suffer. So what they say to Jesus about Jesus. Why allow others to suffer? Why allow the nation to suffer when we could just take this guy out? He, he uses a really interesting word here. It's expedient. It's expedient. He's a pragmatist, just like Pilate is later on. It's practical. It makes sense. It's advantageous. It means the quality of being convenient and practical despite, and here, definitely being what? Immoral. Is Jesus innocent? What? Let, let's rehearse what Jesus has done, and let's rehearse Christianity as a whole. This is, they want to kill Jesus, and Jesus heals people, doesn't he? He, he heals the sick. They want to kill Jesus, and Jesus preaches, love your enemies. They want to kill Jesus, and Jesus just resurrected someone from the dead. Yeah, that guy, he needs to go. Why? Because of their little kingdom. Because of their power. Because all they care about is the here and now. These are people who are supposed to be establishing God's kingdom, and here they are in the act of conspiring against the very Son of God, God incarnate Himself, and they want to take Him out. How do you think people are going to respond here and now to His followers? It's made out of the fear of repercussions if they let him continue. It is a practical solution, however immoral it may be. And you really can't make this stuff up no matter what Bill Maher says because this is kind of like the captain of the Titanic saying, this ship is going to go down in history. Because what is, who is really talking here? What is really going on here? Whose kingdom is being established? It's not Caiaphas's kingdom, is it? What does John tell us? And John is all about behind the scenes. He's all about pulling back that curtain and letting you and I, who have trusted in Jesus Christ here in 2022, know who's in charge of all of this. Why does he say this? Oh, he says he doesn't say this out of his own initiative out of his own accord. It means, so, of oneself. So, you can, if you did the reverse, you could say that uh, someone would exalt themselves or glorify themselves or 
humble oneself, right? So that would be the person doing the action. Here, it is the opposite of that. So we can kind of say that Caiaphas does not say this voluntarily. Here we have the free will of man plotting to kill the Son of God, carrying out God's eternal plan of salvation. Look at the parallels. Caiaphas is in for self-preservation. He's trying to preserve his kingdom, and he's trying to preserve his people, and God's doing the same through this selfish plan. And we have an interesting word again. It is the word for. In place of or in substitutionary, it is referring to the substitutionary sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. This is exactly what's happening. Jesus is going to die. He is going to die for the nation, but not just Caiaphas's little nation. He's going to die for all of the children of God that are scattered abroad. Caiaphas is trying to keep his, his people together, but all he is doing is bringing together God's people. He is planning his death so that his little nation doesn't perish, but John tells us, that it is this death that establishes another nation and another kingdom. One that is not just limited to the people of Israel, but to the entire world. And folks, it is this very this plan that's being hashed out in time, in this moment, that brings you and I into the kingdom. That's why we're sitting here. It's because this man had a selfish little idea, but he is actually carrying out and accomplishing the eternal plan of God. This is the most wicked conspiracy of all time devised by man. It is devised by individuals that are supposed to be representing God, but instead they want to kill Him. It is this plan that leads to the brutal, horrific death of an innocent, loving, truthful man on the most horrendous instrument of death ever seen. And all along, none of it happened apart from the will of God. None of it. This sinful, selfish human being is being used to carry out God's eternal plan of salvation for the world. Listen to Psalm 56. Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me all day long. They press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? All day long they twist my words. They're plotting to harm me. They conspire. They lurk. They watch my steps, eager to take my life. On no account let them escape in your anger. O God, bring down the nations. Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this, I will know that God is for me. Is this the same God that was orchestrating this plan here? And if this is the same God 
What are you and I have to worry about? Because what we see here is God uses man's opposition to accomplish his plan of salvation. What can man do to me? Nothing. Let's get off the reservation. He's sovereign over all of it. It is He's sovereign over this that brings us into His kingdom. How much more is He going to make sure to accomplish His plan through you and me who have trusted in Jesus Christ? We have nothing to fear. The greatest conspiracy of all time carries out the greatest salvation of all time. These guys who have all these operations who are trying to stop God's kingdom actually accomplish His work for them. What do we have to be afraid of? Nothing. Nothing at all. He's sovereign. He takes man's wicked ways, man's wicked actions, and he, he just funnels it right into His purposes. That should give us the greatest comfort, confidence, and courage of all time. How does he do it? I have no idea. None whatsoever. It actually baffles my mind, but I tell you what, it comforts my soul. And this, I, I, this challenged me because I get afraid, right? I don't want to mess up my life. I want to keep our church together. I don't want to see people coming at us with pitchforks and torches. But our, our temporal comfort, that's not the issue, is it? Their eternal comfort is. That's the issue. And if we, we praise this God, we worship this God, but do we believe that He's this sovereign? He is. And it should motivate us to establish His kingdom because there ain't nothing stopping it. And even in the machinations and operations and schemes and conspiracies of man against His kingdom, all the conspiracies, whatever they are, they still fall under His sovereignty. Brings us to the third and final insight, the implementation, verses 54 through 57. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim. And there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. For they were seeking for Jesus. They were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. I want to issue a disclaimer before I read this illustration. Gentlemen, if you want to impress your wife or your girlfriend, do not attempt this at home. 
There's an Oklahoma man, he went to extreme measures to impress his wife in 2004, Trent Spencer, 27-year-old high school teacher. This should give you confidence to teachers. He paid two teenagers, $100 each, to break into his house and tie up his wife. As she was bound with duct tape, Spencer raced in, fought off the intruders. He even pre-cut a board so that it would break when he hit one of them with it. It's pretty, uh, pretty impressive, but, you know, he's thinking, right? The police were called and began an investigation. The plan might have worked, but, of course, one of the teenagers blabbed to his parents. Hey, guess where I'm going today? Surprisingly, when the police found out, they did not arrest Spencer. Instead, they slapped him with the bill for the investigation. I'm going to assume after he was slapped with the bill, he was slapped by his wife. Can you imagine what was going through her mind as that was happening? I mean, those kids could have, you know, what? It, no, I just can't. I can't make this stuff up sometimes. She didn't know that all along, this was, these guys were following pretty, you know, mapped out instructions for them. Anything could have happened. She didn't know this was a plan that was implemented by her lunatic husband. We now see the implementation of this plot. However, guess what? Jesus is fully aware. Fully aware of what is going on. Notice, uh, again, John says, therefore, meaning, so because Jesus is aware of this plot and his time is not right now, uh, there is a time when he is going to be handed over, not taken, despite their little orders to seize him. Jesus is aware. He knows what's going on. Why? Because this is the plan. This is all part of the plan. And actually, he goes away with his disciples, and we begin to see him now fade out of that public ministry. What is he going to be doing with his disciples? He's going to be preparing them for his departure. He's telling them, hey guys, this is what's going to happen. I know this is what's going to happen. I am telling you, this is what's going to happen. Therefore, don't worry. It's going to be okay. This isn't man doing this to me. God isn't up there reacting to man's little operations and schemes against his kingdom, fully aware and his times, Jesus' times are in God's hands. Until the moment when he's, you know, I mean, uh, every moment, every moment, he's, he's with him. And then he's going to allow them to do what? To seize him. I love that word, they gave orders, right? Because then you're like, ah, who's giving the orders here? So they gave, the, this is the plan. And we know where this is going to lead. It's going to lead to Judas then coming before them and making this deal so that they can lay hands and seize Jesus. The death of Jesus Christ, all of this is not at the whims of mankind, but they meticulously Follow a design that was predetermined before the foundations of the world. Listen to what Peter says in his, 
in his sermon. This is a public sermon in Acts. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan, the preordained plan and the foreknowledge of God. We have to stop right there. Why does he distinguish those two things? Many people think that God just looks down the corridor of time and is like, oh man, John's going to do this, so I got to I got to weave and bob and I got to go this way. Oh, you know, uh, and he's reacting to everything that human beings are doing. And even now, people say that God's knowledge is limited. And it's limited so that man can have free will. And so God's up there every time. Mark, why? Mark, don't, Mark, no. Oh, man. And he erases it and he starts over again. I mean, if that's the case, holy cow, are we in trouble God is not contingent upon mankind. He says, foreordained definite plan and foreknowledge. The plan is being carried out by these guys. But listen, he adds what? You did it. Your free will. Sovereignty of God, free will of man, all in one little package right there. Folks, if God is not in control of even the smallest molecule, if there's an atom that resists his will, he's not God. He's not God. He's not contingent upon us. He doesn't react. He plans. And that plan is carried out no matter what. Ain't no one stopping it. Who's given the orders? Peter tells him, he was handed over to you. Who's in control? Who, who has the authority? You know, I was given, I had orders in the military. I had to follow a lot of them. All of them, really, but I didn't follow all of them. And I also had choices in the military, too. Uh, believe it or not, I had a choice of orders, which is kind of weird. It's like your free will order. But I had a choice uh, when I was in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, to pick my station. And I had a choice. I could have gone to Hawaii. You guys all know about Hawaii. I could have gone uh, to West Coast, to California. And I could have come here to Maine. And I chose Maine, of all places, right? I mean, can you argue why I chose Maine. Yeah, I know, shaking your head, you know. I mean, and I chose that, and then I got orders to come up here. And I don't remember if I were, if I was a Christian at that time, or if anything, I was a new Christian. But I look back at that choice. It was a choice that was probably made out of some, some for some really weird reasons, right? I just, I came up to Maine. I fell in love with Maine. I liked the trees or something. I don't know. And and I just went, you know, came to Maine. And now I look back and I see there was a plan. And in those choices and in those orders, God is just working out his plan, not, not just for the, the world as a whole, but for us as individuals. And that should bring us great, great comfort in knowing somehow in some fashion this personal God uses sometimes our 
kind of silly choices and the decisions that we make. And he just weaves his beautiful, eternal plan of salvation for you and me. Jesus is going to say later on, to when talking to Pilate, Pilate says something. He says, don't you know I have the authority to let you go, to release you? Jesus is like, uh-uh, I'm going to give you a little quick theology lesson, Pilate. You might be good with the politics and stuff like that, but let me just tell you something. You ain't have no power over me whatsoever. You got nothing, nothing, unless it was what handed to you from above. That's where you got this authority from. Jesus later on, after he rises from the dead and is ascending into heaven, what what does he say to his disciples? Does he say, I have a little bit of power in this area right here, just in your your little church area. And, And you can use that power and authority there. Is that what he says? No, he says, all authority is mine. Just in heaven, on earth, therefore, get off the reservation. Therefore, make more of you. You have absolutely nothing to fear at all, at all, because he's working out his eternal plan no matter what the conspiracies of man are. Spurgeon says this about the sovereignty of God. There's no attribute of God more comforting to his children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe troubles, they believe that the sovereignty has ordained their afflictions. That sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them. No conspiracy of man against God's kingdom, His people, His church, falls out of His sovereignty. You and I can be sure of that. It's no theory. It's theology. Father, thank you for this truth. And though we don't understand it, and sometimes it just raises more questions, Lord, we know that we can trust you in it. Lord, I I really do pray for myself and for everyone here. And we just don't walk out of here forgetting this. That we apply it to our lives. And that we have a boldness with your truth and your gospel, knowing that no matter what man may plan against us, your kingdom will be established. Help us to do this.